All right, short week, but busy week. Busy, busy week. The Toronto Maple Leafs return. Exciting. Exciting stuff. I think if it wasn't for Minton Mania, then a lot of us would have ended up sort of sleeping through the preseason a little bit, but we we did not. Minton, <laughs> way to go. Opening day roster. I'm stoked about it. I think that there's a lot to go over with it, but luckily in the 10 o'clock hour today, so the second hour for you in the podcast, I'm going to go basically, I'm going to go over just about everything with James Myrtle. Big, full-blown preview. We'll have a bunch of guests tomorrow in the home opener. Uh, I still got to talk some football, so I do have Brady Quinn today and also John Tavares, captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's fine. It's a pretty good show, pretty packed show. So I don't have a lot of time, nor do I really need a lot of time to talk about the debacle Saturday morning. I said to everybody on the show, when oh, I didn't say to everybody. I said to Ben Nicholson-Smith when I had him on that I guess the Blue Jays would bury that media conference. And my guess was correct. I didn't think that they would stoop so low as to hide him on Saturday morning of a long weekend. It's pretty low. That's about as low as she go. But they did. And there was reason for it because they were really hoping that uh, maybe people won't be talking about this after the weekend. Maybe it won't be so bad. Maybe, maybe it won't be horrendously bad, but wrong. It was... The worst media conference I have ever seen. Genuinely. There was nothing even close to that. Um, there are memorable ones, right? Like Burke talking about... Uh, damn it, what's the word? Pe- truculence. We remember that. We remember some positive ones from Masai Ujiri. Remember that tough one from Masai Ujiri last year at the deadline where he looked like someone had sapped his soul. There have been uncomfortable ones. I think actually now thinking back a second one, Brian Burke, when he left the Toronto Maple Leafs, when he got into it with a certain reporter that people know from here. Yeah. There's nothing as bad as that one yesterday. That wasn't even a guy being fired. That was just a, that was maybe a guy who was trying to be fired. I don't know. Felt a little bit like that could have been at play. Like by taking no blame, he was actually, this is the galaxy brain take that he was actually trying to take all of the blame because that would have been quite something is if he went, guys, I will take the heat. I will take the hit. I'll go in there and act like I did nothing wrong. And then everyone will blame me and no one will talk about how we couldn't score any runs. And it was any of the players fault for making the base running mistakes that it wasn't our manager's fault. After all, people will basically say, yeah, Schneider, he's fine. That everyone else will be insulated because I will take every ounce of anger from this fan base because that's the only thing that makes sense here that's the only thing that could possibly make sense for the way that ross atkins handled that media available availability on saturday morning on a long weekend after the blue jays were unceremoniously bounced from the postseason so yeah by by now we've all had our thoughts we've all been i I, everyone's been pretty angry i will say but He didn't just bury Schneider. He didn't just kind of do his classic. Sorry, what's the question that you're asking? And then sort of give a bit of a different answer on the question. It's a pretty staple move in those situations, right? Skirted some questions. I just, to me, what what I keep thinking of in that situation and why to me it made it clear that the Blue Jays have to move on from Ross Atkins is, is twofold. Is one... I don't think you can present that culture moving forward. That culture of no responsibility and 
painful optimism. It's like, it's good to be optimistic in life. I, I wish I was more sometimes. I know I can be a bit of a pessimist. I know it can be a bit of a rust coal, but that's just, that was false optimism. That's fake optimism. The thing that he put on display, none of that was like real. And there's nothing more infuriating to me as a fan. When someone goes, we feel the pain of the fans and then goes on to say things like Vladdy's so excited. We're so excited to get the off season going. Okay. It, it doesn't seem like you're holding anybody accountable here. You're basically saying you like John's decision that it was a good one. It didn't work. It wasn't that they didn't score. It was that they didn't score runs. It was for whatever reason, blah, 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 blah. It was painful. It was painful. You wanted to see in that media conference, some accountability. You wanted to see someone basically say, Hey, we put this decision together. It's hard because you're like either saying you're cutting your manager at the knees or that you always do or that, but I thought that they could have tried to find something in between. Didn't do it. But Here's the thing. Ross Atkins, he could make the case that he should be fired for the Gabriel Moreno trade alone. Lourdes Gurriel Jr., by the way, hit a home run yesterday. It's pretty good for him. I'm pretty sure he had two RBI. Pretty sure he drove in two runs in that playoff game. It's hard to watch that series with those two guys there. You could make the case that that trade alone should be, you could fire a general manager. But overall, this front office has actually done a pretty good job. People, people here freak out and they get super upset when you say stuff like this, but Jays have been competitive for the last couple of seasons. And this is not a team that is always competitive. Should they have won a division in there? Probably. Yeah. Is it a big step back that two teams have leapfrogged them? Absolutely. It is. Are there some huge disappointments along the way? Yep. Absolutely. There are, but the blue Jays have been a really competitive team and they've made some really quality moves. And if you look at some of the free agent signings that they've had here recently, yeah, I think that you got to give the organization a ton of credit for that. That being said, I just don't know how you bring Ross Atkins back at this point. I just don't know how you can say Thursday, if you're Mark Shapiro, when he speaks, yep, it's all good. We believe in Ross and what Ross did was fine. And we're like, to me, that would be a, a grave misread of how frustrated the fans are because I was getting DMS. I was getting tweets. I, I was flooded the last couple of days with anger towards the way that Ross Atkins handled that media availability. And I think that, Again, I don't like to do the group think. I don't like to, when it feels like the consensus, it usually goes, wait, wh why are we in the consensus here? There's probably something that's being missed. I don't feel that way with Ross Atkins right now. I just don't feel like, oh, well, actually, you should probably be, nah, this is not a, this is a cooler heads prevail time. We've, everyone's got to sleep on this. I was mad for three days and I know that I'm a sports psycho, but I feel like a lot of fans were upset over the last couple of days with the way that he handled that. Who wants to see, who can't relate to the idea of a boss throwing an employee under the bus? Like that, who, who doesn't relate to that in some way? Where your boss basically was like, hey, this is our idea. We need you to fall in line. And then it backfires and they go, well, you know, it was you really that failed. Oh, that's, that's fine. Great. Really appreciate that. John Schneider, you still have your autonomy. It's all on you. He should really start managing in a crazy way next year. If everybody's still around to prove that autonomy. He's like, yeah, Vlad's a reliever now. It's up to me. I make all the decisions around here. I'm John Schneider. I call all the shots. But yeah, I I'm telling you, I know I screw up a lot of things. I get a lot of things wrong. I know I don't have this wrong, that the fans are pissed. 
that the fans of the Toronto Blue Jays are about as angry as I can ever remember this fan base being at the baseball team. It's a different tone than it's been in years past. And I feel as though if Ross continues as the general manager of this baseball team, it's, it's a mistake. It's a mistake. You can, unless he is bringing the most invaluable decision-making or insight to the baseball process, even at this point, if he was, like, it's, it's hard for me to make a case from an optics and PR standpoint. Like, it's done, man. It's done. And, and I think that that media conference may have been, yeah, the, the death knell on his career as the Toronto Blue Jays GM. Easy win for the baseball team, making that shift. Got to be able to find a change internally, but you, you cannot let, you can't let the fans swallow this one over an entire offseason. Anyways, at least now we have Toronto Maple Leafs hockey to distract us from this. Toronto Maple Leafs hockey, Raptors right around the corner. Football this weekend, I don't know if, I, I'm excited to talk to Brady Quinn later. I can't tell if it was good or bad. Kind of felt like the awesome teams just crushed everybody and all the pretenders now made themselves pretty clear. It does. It's always feels good to watch the Cowboys suck though. It does. It feels really good to watch the Cowboys. I I'm, I'm a Seahawks fan. I hate the Niners, but my God, it there's just something satisfying about watching all the Cowboys fans that danced on the giants in week one, look at their team versus a real group and say, Oh yeah, this sucked. This was not even close. Dak Prescott yet again. Anyways, uh, John Tavares is the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know him well. Good morning, John. Thanks for doing the show, man. No problem. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's good to have you, man. So uh, you missed last year's camp, and you came back basically way faster than a lot of us had anticipated on the outside, and you put up points immediately. You actually ended up getting off to a pretty hot start. I wonder, you know, outside of just feeling better, feeling healthier, you know, what, what it feels like this year coming into camp healthy. Yeah, um, it was a unique uh, circumstance for me last year. And uh, I think this is my 15th, 15th year, so 15th camp. So I yeah. guess, uh, you know, there's always something uh, different and you're learning from or something happens that's, uh, that uh, takes you down a different path that you haven't been through before. So, you know, last year, although uh wasn't ideal, um, you know, I learned from it and obviously great uh I think a great job by all our staff and helping me get ready to play and, um, you know, obviously being ready, uh, you know, physically being ready to play and then also my game uh, being ready to play. So definitely took uh, some learning from that. And, you know, I was a little sick before camp started last year, and I think that did put me in a great spot and then uh, um, got hurt that first preseason game. So, um, you know, for me this year, it was kind of uh, less, less is a little more in September. Uh, heading into camp and wanting to build towards October, which I think has gone pretty well. And um, you know, anytime you're just out there with the group, especially with all all the uh, the new additions we have, new faces to, to build familiarity and comfort and chemistry and all those sorts of things is always obviously good. And then for myself to continue to just work on my game and round it out and feel really good about where I'm at heading into uh, uh, tomorrow. Now. Well, you know, your thing is consistency and. <clears throat> You, you have obviously been known as someone who works really hard throughout the off seasons, but yeah, when you're talking about rounding out your game, was there actually something particular that you really wanted to accomplish this off season? 
Like something specifically that you were like, yeah, you know what? This is the area that I want to try to improve on despite being in year 15. Yeah, I think there's always uh, little things. I don't think, you know, I'm looking to reinvent myself or yeah. reinvent my game. And it's something that I talk a lot about is continuing to be really good at my strengths. So I think continue to fine-tune your strengths and what makes you the type of player you are and have success with obviously continuing to evolve at the same time. So it's uh, always a balancing act. But I felt, uh, and I think this goes to your first question with going through the injury last year, missing lots of camp and, Starting the year, I felt really good, really fresh, and, and my game felt really good, even though I missed most of camp. Mm. Just taught me a lot about, uh, you know, I, I think the way I approach the offseason and the work that you put in, that even though you miss some time, uh, because of all that work that's put in, there's a really good foundation and base there that uh, you can really trust that and, and look to build towards October. So, you know, I had a really good offseason last year with a lot of some of the things uh, I made some changes with. and. In particular, just working with Paul Matheson and our, our player development uh, um, here with the Leafs and, a lot, and some, some, a lot of the skating stuff that he's been working on with me. So I think just to continue to build off that and, and for me to kind of fine-tune my strengths uh, and just little details in those areas uh, that I want to be good at, uh, whether that's on the walls, uh, below the dots, um, and continuing, uh, I think, always to connect my game through all three zones. Um, you know, I've really found... Uh, all, all those pieces kind of fit together. You want them all to kind of be um, in sync, and, and um, you know they all affect each other in a positive way, defensively and obviously through the neutral zone and offensive zone play. So uh, it's a little broad, but uh, mostly just kind of kind of building on those things and, and little details within those uh, within that framework of my game. Yeah, well, I do like how the answer is like, listen, I'm trying to detail every single part of my game. Like, I'm trying yeah. to add details to every single part. I'm like, all right, we get it. That's, that's how you become who you are. So, you know, you mentioned it, though. It's year 15, right? That's like that's a long time in the league. And, and I'm curious if watching a guy like Minton come in, who's 19, same age you did. And granted, it was very different. You weren't like a surprise at a camp, right? You were a highly touted guy. You came with a lot of hype, anticipation. His has been a little bit more of like, holy crap, can you believe that this is happening? But I am curious if at like the start of the year, you get a little bit more reflective on your career. Like as you're getting ready for this and thinking, okay, how many more of these, you know, do I have left? How long am I going to end up playing? And you see the difference between like you at 33 and a 19-year-old. Does it make you think about, you know, yourself at 19 when you're first breaking in the league? Do you, do you start to get a little sentimental about the game when you start to, yeah, see the younger guys come through like that? Um, I, I think it's uh, just great perspective. Um, I think every year, um, I'm, I, even though I've gained a lot of experience and been through it a lot, I, I think the feeling, other than not, not being through it the first time, you know, my first year, I think the feeling is always very similar. Um, it's just the excitement, uh, the build-up, all the work put in throughout the off-season and tra- training camp preseason, and you're finally here for a new year and another opportunity to compete and play in the NHL is really special. So I think you're just really, uh, you know, you take some moments almost like at the big picture a little bit as uh, the long grind starts and, and um, you know, the fun and joy of that, uh, competing at this level. So... And, and, and obviously, anytime you see, you know, but you know, Frazier or um, you know, Nizy, um, you know, any young player coming in and starting it for the first time, I think it does bring a little reflection back on 
on those feelings of uh, the unknown, I would say. Um, just going through everything for the first time is really, really cool. Um, and and to, to finally actually live it and experience it, you obviously hear so much about it, uh, whether it's through, you know, the staff or veteran players or uh, even even your agent and things like that of just what to expect and how it is. But uh, I think just going through it for the first time is really cool. Um, it's something you, you only get to do once, so just to try to cherish that and enjoy that. And obviously to lean on the people around you to, to help you uh, through uh, the ups and downs of a long year and, and obviously to continue to grow and establish your game uh, to prove that you belong. When you were 19, though, okay, like you had, you were from here. You had the microscope on you from, you know, you being a kid. You had a pro athlete in the family. Um, you, you had success immediately, like coming into the, yeah, coming into the NHL. This, like, this kid's a little different in terms of, yeah, no one really expected him to be here at this point. Um, yeah, he was a piano player, right? <laughs> he became a hockey player. Uh, I don't think that he, like, maybe he understands some of the market pressures that are from here. But, yeah, do you, do you try to impart stuff on him, like, do you take 19-year-old Tavares and you look at it and go, hey, how can I relate to a kid that, granted, it's a different era, but is there something, like, you know, they always ask athletes to do the Players' Tribune one where they go, hey, what would you tell your younger self? You kind of see a kid like yeah. that. Do you see yourself in him and go, you know what, without trying to be overly preachy because I am still this guy's peer, there probably are a couple things that I can tell you that would have helped me? Yeah, I think I think it's a little bit of... Uh nature versus nurture right i think you know you learn he's going to learn things that as much as i i tell i, I tell him or anyone else tells him until you live certain things and you have your own experiences it's hard to uh really comprehend all that and that's what i mean a lot about the first and things that he goes through but you know there's things that i remember that I, uh you know whether it was doug wade or mark stride or um other veterans that i played with when i played that little things here and there that that go a long way that uh you know help turn the light bulb on in certain areas, so to speak. Um, just bring your attention to that, because I also think when you're young, uh, some things you're naive to, and I think that can work in your favor. And, and, you know, that's also where, you know, experience can go a long way. So I think there's there's two sides to, to, to look at it. And, and sometimes I think, you know, being young um, and naive and not going through it, haven't been through it before and not really knowing what to expect, there's a lot of benefit to that. Um, and then there's the other side of it where, you know, it's good to, to get a heads up on things and, and to be aware of uh, certain things that you're going to face and, and certainly playing in a market in a city like Toronto, what that's all about. Um, but I think for, I think Frazier in particular has got a tremendous head on his shoulders. I think that's a big reason why, um, you know, I think Sheldon and, and Tree and all our staff obviously feel very strongly about him, not only his game, but I think his his character as a person and uh, uh, how he carries himself and I think his love and passion for the game of hockey and, and also just the intelligence, intelligence and maturity that he has for his age um, and, and, and you know what it's like to play here and, and going through it for the first time. Yeah, so it sounds, if I'm reading between the lines a little bit here, it's that you are more of a, hey, learn through failure and then I'll be there for you when the things are harder kind of guy. I, w- I wouldn't say I wouldn't say on everything, but I think yeah. in certain situations, definitely. So yeah. I know that's not a, a straightforward answer, but I think that's just no. That's that's uh, that's part of you know in, in anything in life, just living through experience. And until you go through certain things, do you really truly understand? Uh-huh. But I think there's always good things to be aware of, aware of before you you head into them or you approach them for the first time. Having having that knowledge can go a long way to help. So. Um, 
you know, I, that's and that's just speaking from my own experience as well. No, I, I think that's yeah. I'll I'll be honest. I think that's kind of an insightful way of doing it because. You know, like I have a young staff here that works on this show and it's a very similar thing. You want to have people feel like they're empowered to do their job. You definitely don't want to be preachy all the time going, this is how you should do something. This is how you should do something. Because it's like, yeah, you don't, what do you know? You know, it's a, it's, it's new. Things have changed since you were his age. Um, and yeah, the game's evolving. All these different things are, yeah, rapidly moving. But yeah, being there and having that experience to draw from when those things happen or when those things are needed, I think is pretty crucial, pretty important. So, you know, again, you're, you're part of this leadership core. You're a veteran, you're the captain. Um, there's been, you mentioned it, right? Like all these new guys and being there for camp and being on the ice for all these new guys. But so much of this off season was about like, hey, the new voices in the room and snot and whatever other adjective we, we used when we were talking about it and you guys used. Um, what do you try to instill among new players as the captain of this team? Um, I think it's just to, uh, help to help the new guys, I think, feel comfortable right away, I mm-hmm. think, in their surroundings. Um, you know, coming to the city uh, and obviously being at the facility and I think just getting the feel for our group and kind of uh, the vibe around uh, our locker room. Um, and also get a sense of the standards that we have, which uh, uh, we know are very high and how we're always trying to push that envelope and how we go about our business and work and, you know, push for, for what we're working towards. Um, you know, we have a very big goal in mind, and I think that's that's the focus of, uh, of the group, especially the guys that have been here for a long time, mm-hmm. um, and, and to obviously embrace what's really special about playing in Toronto and, and being a Maple Leaf and having that feeling and that sense, and I think uh, our staff and the organization is a big part of that as well. So I think that's all a part of it, uh, so they can come in and be themselves and, and obviously do what they do well on the ice and, and feel uh, um, that, uh, you know, they can be a big part of things off the ice as well. We want a very tight-knit group and locker room, and, and uh, especially with, you know, playing in Toronto and, and um you know, just the attention that we get and, and start to feel comfortable um, just with everything that uh, is on your plate as, as, a, as, a, as a player in the city and, and to enjoy it because it's, it's a special place to play. How do you balance that, like the, the weight of the expectation with just like, hey, we're at the very beginning of a, of a regular season? Well, I think that's just, uh, you know, things we, we try to just focus on on a daily basis is there's, there's a lot that's outside of our control. Um that uh, nothing we can worry about or that we can influence. All we can do is just focus on uh, getting better every day, which is very cliche. But uh, that's all that's uh, um, that's all that we can do in, in, in the moment is uh, get ready to, uh, today for our game tomorrow and to be excited about that and look forward to that challenge. Is I think you know being a team that's in our position that that uh, um, wants to contend uh, obviously has very high. Um, uh, you know, goals, you know, we, we know the long journey and, and uh, uh, that takes to get there to earn your spot for that opportunity. That's uh, something that's extremely hard to do and difficult to do in our league. So, um, you know, it's, it's one step at a time. So, you know, first it's uh, the preparation of the offseason for training camp and preseason. And we finished that, that step, uh, step two here this past weekend. And, you know, step three is a long one, and that's uh, the long grind and journey of a regular season or in your spot for, for, for the best time of year where, um, you know, we have uh, um, a desire uh, to get to the mountaintop. 
This is a bit of a different one because, you know, obviously I don't think you, you guys are like, oh, we really just wanted to get out of the first round. The goal is to win the Stanley Cup that you're talking about. But does, does the group feel at all different? Like, has this felt a little different going into the season, knowing at least that part of it is gone? I think for sure there's, uh, obviously, I think it was, uh, you know, we, we've been so close. There was so many opportunities. Uh, obviously, I think it was, it was uh, a big moment for us uh, to, um, you, know, you know, put Tampa away. And it's something that uh, we hadn't been able to do and had so many cracks at. So, obviously, it was big for the group, but certainly there was, you know, significant disappointment um, in, in how things uh, ended against Florida. But I think we feel that it was a big, a great learning experience and just how, you know, as you go further, how much harder it gets and how the margins get even smaller. We talk about how small the margins are, and we've obviously really felt that with the amount of uh, Game 7s uh, that we've been in, uh, being uh, you know one shot away, um, and, and opportunities we've been in where we haven't, you know, we, we didn't get it done. And uh, as we moved on last year, just felt uh, with how the series was against Florida, how tight every game was, uh, how close we were in, in all those games, um, just how, how much tighter and, and uh, how, how much smaller the margins get and how your game has to evolve and adapt even throughout the, the playoffs. You have an identity that we want to play to, but also to understand the opponent you're playing against and how your game has to evolve um, and adapt. Uh, we're still establishing with the way that you want to play to uh, obviously meet that next challenge against a team that's feeling very good about themselves as well and just accomplished getting past the first round too. And, and that'll only get harder as you get to round three and then obviously to the Stanley Cup final. So uh, it was a good learning experience. Um, but uh, obviously the, to move on uh, was something that, uh, um, you know, we want to do every year, but certainly uh, those opportunities that uh, slipped away in the past, it was good uh, good for us to uh, get that feeling and, and um, to understand what that takes. Hey man, well, congrats on the health. Um, I hope it continues for this full season and yeah, good luck with the grind. Uh, yeah. Thank you. I, I appreciate the time today, John. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Take care, man. There he goes. John Tavares, captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs. I'll have some thoughts on that later with Myrtle at 10. Quick break. Let's come back. Let's talk to Brady Quinn about week five in the NFL. Sportsnet 590. The All right. It's time for our Monday morning insider. Former NFL QB, Brady Quinn. Brady, did you know we had our own Thanksgiving? Tell the truth. Um, I was not aware until yeah. it was brought to my attention. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. I, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. We did. We did have a great Thanksgiving. But yeah, we got our own. We, we do our own thing, all right? We also watch football. We also eat the same foods. We just do it on a different day. And I'll be honest with you, I actually have no idea why ours is a different day. Like, no clue. And I think that if... It, what, Austin, you know? No. Do, do you actually know? No, your mic's not on. Yeah, I don't know why we we have it. But we do. We do our own thing. It's one of our ways of being like, we're not just America's, you know, north. We're not, we're not just up there. We got our own thing going on, all right? So, just so you know. We got, you, you and, can, and, it's, and it's all the same food? Yeah, it's all the same food. It's it's the exact same. It's, okay. yeah, it's turkey, it's potato. It's like, yeah, we do the gourds. It's, it's everything. It's the exact same. Just get together with the family. Say what you're thankful for. You know, it's just, it's the same. I have no idea how we ended up with two. I'm kind of like a, I, I usually pride myself on being a bit of a history buff and usually being someone that's kind of inquisitive about such things. But I have absolutely no idea 
What? Oh, wait, Simon, you got it? Yeah, so apparently it's because it gets colder here, so the harvest has to be a little earlier up in That's Canada. It? So we bumped it up a little early. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay, okay, so there you go. Sense. We're all learning today. Sense. Yeah, see? We're all learning together. This is an educational show as well, not just sports, all right? Uh, okay, so this weekend, um, I'm watching the games, and all I can kind of come away with is it felt like, all right, all the hype teams from the beginning, all the narratives that we kind of tried to spin about a lot of groups, it felt like this was just, nope, the teams that we expected to be really good are really good. And there's really just nobody else that is going to, I think, matter outside potentially those, you know, top, th- like how many teams do you think matter? Let's put it just to you. How many teams do you think are actually going to matter this year when it comes? Yeah. But well after your Thanksgiving. Uh, I, I think you could count two w- without any hesitance. And yep. that's San Francisco and Philly, probably in that order in the NFC. Yep. And then I think in the AFC, you're probably going to say it's, um, Kansas City and, mm-hmm. and Buffalo. Although I've got some concerns about Buffalo with losing Matt Milano, so uh, many Juan injuries. Jones as well, they've already lost Travis White. I mean, so many. But those two, maybe you throw in Miami too, if if two is healthy, given mm-hmm. how good they looked when he was healthy last year. Um, but that's kind of it. I think the rest. You're curious to see how the rest of the season moves on. I mean, Pittsburgh's right now sitting atop the AFC North. No, I don't know about you, but I don't have much confidence in them moving forward the way their offense has, has looked. So um, there's a lot of question marks about a lot of other teams that I think are in contention. Uh, I have some Steelers fans in my life that are beyond delusional. Like they, it's, it's like a weird Stockholm syndrome thing. I don't know if it's because they're not willing to move off of the preseason takes that they built off of when it comes to Kenny Pickett and the offense. Uh, they're still like all blame Matt Canada for all of their struggles, which I think is fair to a certain degree, but yeah, I don't trust the Steelers at all. I think that like, if we look at the bubble teams, right? If we look at the groups on the outside, it's probably right now the Lions. It's hard not to overreact to that Dallas loss and just say, yeah, I don't, I, I just, I don't see how you're going to win multiple road games and go through the Niners again when they've just had your number the last couple of years. But the team that the Steelers faced, Baltimore, like they had all these drops. Everyone's making it like, hey, they, they got really unlucky in that game. And yes, they did. But this isn't the first time this has been this way with Baltimore this year, right? Like, they had a really sketchy loss to the Colts. This one was quite bad. What do you think it is about the Ravens that just it keeps prohibiting them from entering that category in the AFC? I think, look, their offense is still a work in progress. Mm-hmm. You know, we tend to forget. Like, it, it takes time when you in- install a completely different offense with Todd Munkin. And so, obviously, it's going to be a little bit more pass-happy. Well, what happens when you throw more passes? You're going to tend to have a few more drops. Um, I think they're still trying to find out their rhythm. You know, who's their number one? Zay Flowers was the most targeted, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and then right after with Mark Andrews. We've seen that in years past, but they've got to figure out a way, in my opinion, of getting Zay Flowers more involved. You know, I think you look at the red zone pick uh, that Lamar Jackson throws to Odell Beckham. It wasn't great effort by Beckham. It wasn't great football in general, but there was a couple of other times, too, they targeted Beckham. And it's like, I, I don't want to say it, it feels like it's a lost cause, but at times, you know, you're watching it out there thinking they, they have more, they would have more success going elsewhere at this point with the way Zay Flowers looks. And even Rashad Bateman, who wasn't really involved whatsoever in the passing game. So mm-hmm. it's, it's still early in the season, in my opinion. And honestly, you're still trying to figure out your identity on offense, what you can lean on, who you can, can lean on, especially in the passing game, and then kind of moving forward from there. So, you know, the inconsistencies are going to come with them, you know, at least this year, in my opinion. 
but mm-hmm. I think they're going to be playing much better football from a passing standpoint the second half and the first half of the season. No, th- this is what I, I, I thought was kind of interesting about the weekend in terms of the contenders and the pretenders or whatever. It's like I felt like, yes, it's just very clear the difference between San Francisco, Philly, and the rest. And I, I know that we're going to do a talk ourselves into Detroit thing for a while, which is fine because they've played great. But ultimately, I, I just... I have a hard time believing that those guys will be representing the NFC this year or that any team other than those two will be representing the NFC. The AFC is kind of this hodgepodge of like all of a sudden Burrow showed up yesterday and it's against the Cardinals. So I think we wait a week. You mentioned how the bills have looked great at times and the offense has been spectacular. I don't really take too much out of those London games, but the defense and just the injuries I'm going uh, I don't know, how much can you sustain to this, right? How many of these guys can you end up losing before it just, like, takes its toll? And then even the Chiefs, who we would probably agree are at the very top of the pile, given the resume and given Mahomes, like, Kelsey left that game, and I went, okay, what the hell are they going to do now? And Mahomes was brilliant. He made it work. But wh- what do you think of just their group of pass catchers? Because Kelsey actually does look like he's maybe lost a bit of a step this year, and that's before we've seen him with whatever this low ankle sprain is. And yeah, how long into the season before you go, no, 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 none of these guys are going to really emerge as a major something when it comes to their receiving core, their weapons. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, by the way, if they didn't try to make a move before the yeah. deadline. I mean, I, I think what they are missing right now is another bigger body target at wide receiver. You kind of took for granted what they had in Juju Smith-Schuster. Mm. Uh, and then maybe either even some other figures they've had in years past, but like, when I look at their roster, I know they wanted Justin Ross to be that, but he's got so many, you know, injury concerns with his medical history. I don't, I don't think he'll ever develop into that, but that's what they need. They need a nice compliment that can make the contested catches that when you need that. Because all, all they have right now is speed and guys who are great in space. They're great if you get them the football, uh, you know, downfield for some, you know, big plastic, plastic plays downfield if you're looking for separation. But – they're kind of just missing that other component. Like I almost look like at a starting five on a basketball team. You know, you've got your power forward and Kelsey. You kind of need that center. And, and you know, you've got other guys who can move around and do different things, but there's really no one who's overly reliable. So that, I think, is coming to fruition right now for them. Fortunately, their defense has been so good. I, I don't know that they've had to really uh, come to grips with that. And then, honestly, Pacheco, to me, is behind Kelsey is their next best playmaker. Mm-hmm. They, they might need to think about, and everyone's going to scoff at this, but maybe we need to run the football a little bit more. I mean, this is an offensive line that's capable of it. We've got a back who's very capable of it. Figure out a way of getting Isaiah Pacheco 15 to 20 touches a game. Now, half that can come from the passing game if you want, but I'm just saying I think he's good enough where you can start leaning on him a lot more until Travis Kelsey seems like he's more 100%, uh, or until you add another piece on offense that you feel like you can lean on more in the passing game. I, I like him. Um, it's weird though, watching him, it feels like he moves his legs. Like he takes more steps. He just like burns up and you're like, Whoa, look at all those steps he just took. And then it's like, he went three yards forward. It's, it's a very weird watch to go. He's like, Oh, he looks like such a hard runner. And yet I don't see him break a ton of tackles. I do like him though. I I don't, I just don't know exactly what he is. Yeah. I don't want to geek out on you, but like one thing that, cause I'm not fast and I've always been really impressed with guys who like have perfect like strides and gait and all that is yeah. he's a high frequency guy. Right. So he gets great turnover. He just doesn't have a lot of pop or explosion. Now his yeah. 40 time would tell you different based on what he ran. 
And, and so it's a little bit deceiving to your point. I mean, it, it looks like his legs are moving in fast motion, but he's not really going anywhere. Yeah. And, and that's been something that I, I think when you see it, it's like, I don't know if it's just good in short spaces and he doesn't have the top end speed, like down the field, like you see from basically everyone in Miami, mm-hmm. but it is interesting to watch him run to your point. Like he looks like he's running a lot harder than he actually is. Yeah. Uh, he's just a weird guy to watch. Like it's a, it's a very unique running style. Like I, I don't want to compare him to like a guy who was, I think, much better in his prime. But when I, I remember watching Le'Veon Bell with the patience at first going, oh, this is different. Like this guy is a different type of runner. And I kind of have a similar yeah. feeling when I watch Pacheco of, oh, I could pick him out. Like, I don't want I just need to see his legs and I would know who it is. Well, he, he kind of reminds you the way he runs, like the effort that he's giving and the frequency. You're like, ah, oh, kind of reminds me of Adrian Peterson. The yeah. difference is, like, Adrian Peterson was, like, moving. He yes. was applying force into the ground and actually had, like, a much longer stride and gait, whereas Pacheco's just all frequency. It's just, like, doing, like, high knees down the entire field. Yeah. I, I think they. you're right. They end up adding a weapon. And you know what? Maybe I, I was going to say that uh, I was going to go into the Niners-Cowboy stuff, but maybe this is the place to go, too. It's like, so, okay, so Jefferson's hurt now for the Vikings, right? And they dropped the one and four. They're basically out of it. Do you think that there is a team that would matter like that there's a team that could enter this kind of contender conversation if they traded for Kirk Cousins this year? Um, man, I mean, the, the Jets are obviously the team that first comes to mind, mm-hmm. you know, just because now you lose Elijah Vera Tucker. Um, he's been arguably your best offensive lineman when healthy. Uh, look at Brees Hall this past week. And, and I know it's versus the Broncos and everyone goes off versus the Broncos, but it was 177 yards where we rushed for him. That, that's hard to, you know, do in the NFL. So, That'd be the one team that I look at and just say, yeah, you put him in there with the number one wide receiver in Garrett Wilson. They have other nice compliments. It would be, for, you know, for the rest of your rental. And, and look, Kirk has a no-trade clause, so he'd have to agree to mm-hmm. it. He'd have to want to say, hey, I'm going to go there, play in a system that he may or may not be familiar with, given that it's Nathaniel Hackett's West Coast system and, um, you know, Kevin O'Connell runs a little bit different system. You know, those are all things that I don't know that Kirk's going to want to leave just to go do that, knowing that it's Aaron Rodgers' future there in New York, not his. So I think that's the only hard part of consideration. If, if I'm a team, though, I think I keep an eye on Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And I keep an eye on where things go with them here in the next week or two. And then maybe I try to say, I don't know if it's you know, T. Higgins or Tyler Boyd, you try to bring in and make an offer for one of their guys. Mm-hmm. Because they got Jamar Chase. They're not dealing him. There's no way. But – if you look at, like, for example, the Chiefs, and they probably wouldn't want to do an interconference trade like that to a team that they're going to see in the future. But you know, that's a team that I'd keep an eye on to see if they would maybe, maybe want to move on from one of the assets, uh, given how much they paid Burrow. And that tends to be more of a cash-strapped organization. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they're going to be able to pay everyone. So that's a team I'd keep an eye on. And then and we'll see you know, how things continue with the Tampa Bay Bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there was a dispute early with Mike Evans before the season and how he wanted to finish his career and everything with that. Maybe he would be a player that they would potentially look at depending on how things go here in the next couple of weeks, even though they do look like one of the best teams in the NFC South. Yeah, you know, uh, the team that I think of is the Falcons. Uh, I don't think that they would be contenders, but I just look at them and go, what type of weapons do you have? The type of weapons that would work with Kirk Cousins, right? The check You, you tell me he can't make it work, checking it down to Bijan. Like, all of a sudden turning Drake London into a player? Can we find out if Kyle Pitts can, you know, actually play or anywhere near expectation? Right. I would just want a guy who gets right. the ball out and, and see what you have with the offense. Like, I feel like you could learn a lot with the season of Kirk Cousins there. 
Yeah, the problem is the difference with Kirk Cousins is, is again, you know, what are you trading for for this season? If they're yeah. not going to be able to make a run in the playoffs, and I don't know that the Falcons are, then what are you giving up to get his services for the rest of the year? It That's might a be a little more significant than people realize. And the other thing mm-hmm. is, if you're bringing him on with the intention of extending him, the problem with Cousins is he's 35 years old, and, you know, his agent and he are going to tell you that he's going to play to 45 like Tom Brady. Every quarterback that's a starting quarterback that's in that position is going to be saying that to you. Kirk Cousins has made a boatload of money, and he's not going to take a discount to keep playing. He's just not that type of guy. I got the chance to call their, their game a couple of weeks ago, and at times hmm. you, know, you listen to him talk about playing football like almost it's a burden sometimes on him, at least his family life. Well, yeah, he gets hit and, hard, uh, man. Like he is. Did you well, watch quarterback? That's, but well, look, that's part of yeah. the job, right? Like you get sure. compensated to deal with that sort of punishment and, yeah. and abuse, to be honest. But the point is, he's not going to take a discount. He, he's mm. going to want to try to get another big bite at the apple. And he's always been a quarterback that's been that way. I wouldn't be shocked if he didn't try to make sure he got a two or three year deal that was fully guaranteed, like he got with his initial deal there in Minnesota. So um, that's uh-huh. the hard thing about Cousins is it's not so much about how they can help this year. It's just about whether or not he'd be willing to do it and leaving Minnesota and his family and doing that, which I don't know that he would. And then really the, the long-term commitment that you're, you're going to probably have to make to him if you're trying to bring him in for more than just this year. First of all, I can't believe he's 35, but he is like, I just, is, is, uh, that didn't really make sense to me. You said it. And I was like, there's just no way. Um, two is after making all that money, you would think he would want to try to win. Like, dude, what do you need? The, you got to buy more plaid shirts, like more picnic table shirts. Like what, what, what are you what do you need, Kirk? What what do you not have already that you can't afford? Go somewhere and try to win. You're right. The price is probably too steep for him. But, yeah, I I don't know. I, I would think if I'm the Vikings, I would maybe take a little bit less just to get rid of him because now this was the other part of this week. It felt like, okay, here's the contenders. Here's a lot of bad teams. Now the Caleb Williams sweepstakes have truly begun. Like, did you get that sense this weekend, too, of, okay, now everybody who's bad, just just try to be really bad? Uh, I mean, again, no coach, no player in the locker room wants to subscribe to that because there's zero job security in the NFL mm-hmm. unless you've got a you know, long-term guaranteed contract, like a Deshaun Watson, for example, who, who sure. can be cleared to play, by the way, and just go ahead and not play. Yeah. And even coming out of the bye week, I guess he's questionable this week. But that's about, that's about it in the NFL. So um, the front office – is probably going to be doing a lot of evaluation on Caleb Williams and Drake May, by the way, out of North Carolina. Keep your eye on him. Some of the teams I've talked to actually like him better because they feel like his style of play Mm. is more conducive to the NFL as opposed to Caleb Williams and what they've seen. Now, that's not my opinion, but it's been the opinion of some of the people I've talked to about it. Um, And so those two quarterbacks in particular are going to be the first two off. After that, it'll get really interesting. But there's honestly, J.D., there's probably five guys you could talk about potentially being included in that group. Yeah. J.J. McCarthy is one out of Michigan has looked phenomenal this year. Quinn Ewers, depending on how the year finishes up here for Texas, even though this past week, statistically it didn't look great, but he obviously didn't play that bad. I mean, there's some other issues they had more so than him. Uh, so there'll be a number of quarterbacks that'll be thrown in the conversation. Bo Nix, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Michael Penix, those two actually score off this week in college football. Yes. So there's a lot of names in the mix. And, and, yeah, there's going to be a lot of organizations that are sort of evaluating these guys. I, I, you know, I, I hate the term tanking because uh, mm-hmm. they're going to seem like Arizona Cardinals. Did we all not think that they were just going to basically be in the Caleb Williams sweepstakes? No, I think they, they tried. Even how they Josh Dobbs and brought him in? I think they tried. I think they didn't realize. I don't know who dropped the ball there, but 
Josh Dobbs is just a gamer. Like he's showing up and apparently every single player around him loves, you know, his energy, the way that he's just kind of, uh, yeah, he's infectious. Right. And I, I don't know. I like the Cardinals and they'll probably, I don't know if they have the talent. They'll probably be kind of in that conversation, but yeah, I think Josh Dobbs is like playing for his career here. He's like, I want to be the guy. Uh, I want to be the guy here. Even their defense uh-huh. and the way they've played. And, and yeah. so you have to get, so here's the point is like Jonathan Gannon's new head coach there. They've mm-hmm. fired a coach with only two wins after one yeah. year in Steve Wilkes. So I don't know any coach that's going to walk into and listen to someone go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we want to tank so we can get this quarterback, but like it only takes then one poor year the next year. And then you're the guy getting the blame, right? Sure. It's not going to be the quarterback. They just drafted him. Then you're the guy. So, that's the hard part about this idea of tanking in the NFL is it might be what the front office wants, but I can assure you it's not what the head coach, it's not what the players in the locker room want. That's a miserable season to be a part of, uh, and, and, and no one wants that. Even though Caleb Williams, Drake May, they, too, they are two of the elite talents mm-hmm. in college football that are going to go one and two in next year's draft. I think there's two teams that where the coach has the equity and the fan base and everyone's so out on the quarterback that they can do that, and that's the Giants where people go, no, 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 we really love Dable, and we're just seeing the same old Daniel Jones, and that's the Denver Broncos, where they gave Sean Payton so much money that it's just impossible to envision them firing him a year in, despite what a disaster it's been there. So it's like those two teams I'm kind of circling, going, yeah, you might have that ability to do maybe a bit more of the obvious tanking, but yeah, I think I agree with you. Like, man, what a nightmare it is for the Carolina Panthers if they can't start winning some games, right? Like, you're, they're obviously the, the trying to win. Thing- the hard thing about Denver is, you know, it really Russell Wilson's not the, the not the problem on that team right now. He's not playing that bad, at mm. least you know, statistically speaking. Their defense is atrocious. Yeah. Um. It, it, and, and by the way, you have new ownership though, so that goes along with that theory. The Giants will be an interesting one only because, you know, when they initially did the Daniel Jones contract extension this offseason, it really was a one-year deal. Then yeah. let's see. Then they restructured right before the season. Now they're really they have to hang on to him for two years. Yeah, two. So maybe he's a placeholder for someone if they're in the right spot. But that would be an interesting one to see if they would be willing to move on. Uh, but also the Daniel Jones contract makes the Kirk Cousins deal complicated because I think we both agree you take Cousins over Daniel Jones any day of the week, right? Mm-hmm. The problem is Jones is making forty million a year, mm-hmm. and so clearly Cousins is going to want more than that. And at thirty-five, turning thirty-six next year. Are you really going to want, want to, you know, pay him potentially, you know, for a two, three-year deal somewhere in the ballpark of $130, $140 million? Mm. And that's a big-time question, especially if there's a concern about his level of play dropping off or deteriorating heavily at, at this point in time in his career. So, uh, you know, again, not to come back full circle to the Cousins conversation, but it will be interesting to see what they look like the next four weeks without Jefferson. He's been such a big piece of their offense, and that's a lot of pressure on Jordan Addison as a first-round pick and rookie to take over in that spot. So maybe this is more of an opportunity for them to run the ball, use Cam Akers, Alexander Madison, if they can hold on to the football uh, in the running game more. All right. Well, to save the most important or the most interesting team until last in this conversation of like the tanking is like, there's zero part of Bill Belichick that's going to tank, right? Um, He's Bill Belichick. But if I'm Robert Kraft and I see that offense, I'm like, well, first of all, we just need premier talent. We, We need an injection of can't miss guys because our entire offense is built around miss guys. Like they have nothing. Um, And yet if they continue to lose these games, it probably amps up the whole will Belichick get fired stuff, which means that he's certainly not going to pass Shula 
in the all-time coaching wins record. Like, what what's your read on New England right now? And do you uh, like? Are you in the they're going to fire Belichick camp? I am not. I think he'll he'll be able to say when he wants to finish there in New England. And, right. and I actually looked at this more similar to the San Antonio Spurs with Greg Popovich. And it's yeah. funny because they both Ooh, handled the media in a like similar that. manner. But you look at how he struggled, and then they're in a position to get Wemby. They get Wemby, now he comes back, and who knows mm-hmm. what it looks like now moving forward for them. But it looks more promising. Maybe if the Patriots find themselves in that position, you, know, you end up getting a guy like Caleb Williams, Drake May, whoever your pick is, and it changes the fortune of your franchise. You sort of surround it with more talent. Uh, I, I know they lucked out in finding Tom Brady. In this case, they might luck out in, in finding a way of, of getting themselves one of those top two picks. And if that's the case, Maybe Bill Belichick wants to hang on and keep playing and be a part of that to finish his career on a high note and ultimately, you know, you know, have the most wins and, and surpass Don Shule in that regard. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I don't know. It's it's just weird that it's getting ugly there. And I, I know it's New England, like it's it's Massachusetts, but yeah, it's it's almost shocking to hear some of the narratives that have come out of there the last couple of weeks about Bill Belichick. And yeah, I don't know. The adversarial nature of it makes me feel like there's at least a chance when I would have been, I'm, I'm still closer to where you are where I'm like, I'll believe it when I see it. But yeah, there's enough smoke now where I go, Hmm, maybe, you know, maybe we end up seeing it. I, I feel like he put himself in this position though, with the hiring of Matt Patricia as an offensive coordinator. I mean, that honestly was what mm-hmm. led to this. And then I think even switching Bailey Zappi and Mac Jones created more of a controversy last year mm. than there really needed to be. And so you look at the poor decision to bring in Patricia. You then look at the quarterback switching back and forth, which allowed fan, the fan base to say, well, maybe this other guy is better. Mm. And, and, and look, that's kind of been the track record because they had Bledsoe as a first-round pick. Brady comes in as a, a sixth-round pick and ends up being the better of the two. But the truth of the matter is, had he not created that controversy on his own, you most likely would have maybe not had to deal with at least that portion of the conversation. And then after this year, you can make a decision on the quarterback spot. But now all those you know, reports and, and you know, rumblings about maybe Zappi gets more of an opportunity, he's getting more practice reps, mm-hmm. that all comes to light. And I think it makes the decision that much harder for Bill Belichick because you know, he's not trying to create an issue, but he kind of has with the way he's handled the quarterback position in the past. Yeah, I mean, and also like the Patricia thing is one thing. I think it's also another, too, that you got two of your sons coaching the safeties and linebackers of your team. Like, like all right. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, look, the defense hasn't been the issue, at least, you know, this year up, up, up until late. I mean, I think you, you probably would have said, hey, that, the defense is what you know, kept them around and getting yeah. turned on. Now, now it's just, now, you know, they're having a hard time holding up and the everything. offense is having a hard time putting points. Yeah, everything. Uh, Brady, again, thanks for coming on and happy Canadian Thanksgiving to you. Happy Canadian Thanksgiving to you as well. I hope you guys had a lot of food. I wish the TV networks would then, you know, put more games, like at least do a doubleheader on Monday. So you had two games not I agree. to watch, not just it's one. very disrespectful yeah. to us, you know. It's a very, very it disrespectful is. to us. I agree. Maybe, you know what, you know some of these people. Maybe make some noise, right? Like you're there. You're part yeah, of it. Yeah, I think we need to start like a, a social media movement. Yeah, Let's put see? out some hashtags yeah. or something. I'm Let's ready. see what that does. Yes, I, I, think that's, I, I think that's probably the right move. Thanks for coming on, buddy. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for having me. See you, bud. Uh, Brady Quinn, former NFL quarterback and our Monday Morning Insider. All right, quick break, and then let's come back and go over everything Maple Leafs with James Myrtle.
All right. Hour two. James Myrtle, Senior Managing Editor at The Athletic. What's up, brother? How are we doing? Yo, what's up, brother? What's up? Hey, that was a clunky. That was that was tough. That was a, this is not. This is a bad omen to well, our. Technically, season. it's preseason, right? Technically, until tomorrow. So, boy, the boys behind the glass better hope so because it's been a rocky morning for the fellas. Anyway, thanks for doing this, pal. I appreciate it. You got bumped. You were supposed to do nine, but uh, the captain, the least, bumped you. Yeah, how was the captain? He was actually pretty good. You know, I gotta say, uh, I I genuinely thought I was gonna get into him with him a little bit about hey. Uh, uh, yeah, just some of his perception in the city. And then I was like, nah, it's not the day for this. It's not the time. So I just... He doesn't really super engage on that stuff too. I, yeah. You know, he's kind of... Anyway. Yeah, I thought he gave good. some pretty good answers. We talked about Minton a little bit, you know, uh, mm-hmm. being 19, breaking in the league. Talked about what's different with this year. I thought it was fairly insightful that at least they know that they were able to win a playoff round and that meant something to them. Because I think that everyone here... Yeah, everyone here agrees that last year was a disappointment yet again. That was a tough way for the Leafs to exit. But yeah, I did wonder for them as a group how, yeah, the new guys are impacting things with the way that he tries to lead some of these guys. And then, yeah, what going into the season feels a little bit different. Because I think for a lot of us, it feels like Groundhog Day. Um, So I'll start with this. What do you think is the defining characteristic of this season to you? Like as you're getting ready at the start of the season, what's your major big editor, big writer narrative. Mm. How are you selling this? If it's like, if they're coming to you, I'm like, Hey, we need to write, this is a script, right? This is a, the NHL is scripted. The Leafs are a scripted product. How are we selling this as not, Hey, the Leafs, the same thing as before with a couple (laughs) different guys. (laughs) Well, it feels like we've said it too many times, but it really, this really feels like kind of like the last stand for the the core group, right? Like, I mean, the Nylander situation is who knows where that goes. I I mean, maybe the way you sell it is like, it's like the first, the beginning of the post Dubas era. And it's really Shanahan's really in charge. You know, he's, he's got a new GM there. They ran back most of everything else. They made some iffy bets. And I think everything that's happened just puts even more pressure on the core guys, especially mm-hmm. when we get down to the playoffs, just with, you know, the supporting cast to me looks a little bit weaker. We'll see what they add over the course of the season and before the trade deadline. But that, and, and the other thing that adds pressure to the Leafs is the Atlantic is not this behemoth division this year, you know, mm-hmm. Boston, Tampa, Florida should all be weaker. So I think that needs to be part of the conversation too, that the Leafs are a little bit weaker roster wise than last year, but their competition got even weaker than they did. And it's right there for them to win the division. And so maybe like for all this talk about how good of a regular season team they've been, never won a president's trophy, never won the division. Well, they won the mm-hmm. Canadian division, but they've never won the actual Atlantic division that's one statement they could make. And I know the regular season doesn't mean that much, but you win the division, you get a wild card matchup in the first round. You know, it, the, the table is set pretty well for you to, to do a little bit more than win, just win one round this year. Yeah. I think it's important to them. I will say it's a tough timing from a narrative standpoint, the year after Boston blows it in round one, right? Like the team yep. where we went, Hey, hockey's pretty even in the Stanley cup playoffs. But if you're going to say that, there's been a year where there's a juggernaut that's going all the way. It's Boston. It's like, oops, you're out. <laughs> it's over. You lost the well, Panthers. Well, how good Florida was, right? Like, that's yeah. the tough thing in the NHL is you have a bunch of injuries or your your goaltending isn't great. Then you can get, like, a really good seven or eight seed, and it's not going to matter how good your regular season, regular season was. Okay, so I'm – this is this is mine. And I'm glad you went with the all-in season or this is finally it. It's like I'm actually going the opposite. I'm saying this year – 
2023-2024, the Toronto Maple Leafs, quote, the death of the all-in year. Because <laughs> what, why, why are we supposed to believe that this year would be any different in terms of the stakes of this? Like, I think I'm actually, I'm trying to look at this with a bit of a fresh perspective, which is, okay, maybe us selling it as, well, now it is, it's kind of like the boy who cried wolf of sports, where you're like, this is this year, they have to do something or else you're going to see major changes. And I know Kyle Dubas was fired and they brought in a new general manager, but ultimately this feels very, very similar to a lot of different seasons, right? Hey, they brought in some new names that are going to feel exciting. Hey, there's some gambles. Maybe they're a little too thin in net. It's just, you know, you're, you can recycle a lot of the different takes. Hey, do they have to get to a conference finals or someone's going to leave? I really don't see it that way. The way that I'm looking at this is as long as Brendan Shanahan's here, which barring a cataclysmic disaster this season, I think he will be moving forward. Like, I don't think that they're going to make some major front office shakeup unless maybe they lose in the first round again or they don't make the postseason. Yeah, but that could happen. Yeah, that, that could happen, right? It's on the table. But I think that the more likely outcome here is that they capitulate, they give William Nylander a big contract extension, and then we're mm-hmm. back into talking about the core four and going into the final year of Tavares and Marner and, and what their two next deals look like. Like I think that these five guys, cause I should include Morgan Riley in this. I, I just think that the continuity is going to continue to exist. And so we're just looking at this and saying, Hey, can these guys get it done this year? Can they learn the thing? But I'm over the it's all in time. I just don't, well, I don't I mean, see it. Yeah. Once you get Matthews signed for four more years, yeah. you're kind of, you're not rebuilding anymore. No, right. So like it. all in is like you put your chips on the table and if it doesn't work, you're, you're pulling it apart. I guess I, I wouldn't say all in. I would just say kind of like a last stand for the group as it's constituted. And mm. like I said, we've said that so many times before that it's not a really good theme to kind of peg your season preview on for this team. Yeah. I, I just, here's uh, my strongest belief now that William Nylander has not been dealt um, is Brad Tree Living really going to let him walk Johnny Goudreau style? I, I just, I don't think so. I think that eventually he's going to come to them with an offer and they're going to say, damn it, you got us. We're, we're going to give you this money. We're going to pay you because we can't let you walk for nothing because there's just no other way to better ensure those four years of Austin Matthews. And, you know, maybe a year from then or whatever, they end up making another trade. Maybe they, mm-hmm. they do make some type of a big swing move to balance out the roster, whatever. But I think the likelihood or the most likely outcome is they're waiting for the $11 million of John Tavares to come off the books and then reevaluate, you know, what his next deal is going to look like and then reshape the roster around those four guys making big money, which will essentially be those three guys because Riley's deal is going to look probably just fine. Yeah, that's what I was going to say too, is that if you're looking kind of medium term, the cap's going to start going up four, yeah. four and a half million a year. Yeah. And then you have 11 million come off for Tavares. I right. mean, there, there could, and, and even if you pay Nylander, how much more is he going to get than the seven he makes now? Exactly. You know, at most three, mm-hmm. Marner's going to get how much more? I mean, Marner's almost at 11. What's he going to get an extra million or something? Like it's not going to eat up. I know. Tavares this is going to be a deal. weird negotiation just because they're like, we you're so you were so overpaid we can't offer you a raise like you can have the same money essentially to come back potentially yeah yeah but any it puts them in an interesting situation because you know caps 83.5 this year they're saying it's gonna be 87.5 the year after and then you're gonna be up over 90 by the time you know you're looking at the Tavares deal being up even if you bring back Nylander on a big ticket and you get Marner back on, let's say a little bit more than what he's at mm-hmm. you're probably going to go into free agency 2025 with a you know, your pockets full of cash. Now the question mm-hmm. is anything available in free agency for you to, to go and sign. Um, 
you know, all eyes on Edmonton, I guess. I mean, does Drysaddle decide to walk or, you know, like that's when it could get really interesting around the league. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I just think that it's going to it's going to be that way. All right. So what's the biggest roster question to you? Because uh, I think there's a case for there's three two. Things. Well, I mean, it could be three. I mean, if you want to put goaltending in there, it's, I do. it could be three. But for me, the two biggest ones, and I think they're tied, is is the blue line and center ice. Yep. And center ice is... is like the blue line, I can see a path where, like, if Lilgren really steps up, I can be like, okay, the top four is okay, and then they add a defenseman at the deadline, and 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 they're all right. Center is tough. Like, you know, I, the story of center ice, I think for them was they tried to bring back Ryan O'Reilly. They really tried. They make a made a pretty big contract offer to him. They didn't get him back, and then it was kind of scramble mode because there was hardly anything available in free agency. You know, like, look at the deal that JT Comfer got in Detroit. Like, just huge money for a third-line center. The Leafs didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So they give Camp more than he's worth to be the fourth-line center. And then it's like, third-line center is like, we don't know. We're going to try Nylander there, even though we know Keith hates Nylander down the middle, and it lasted all of two preseason games. There's no greater waste of breath in media history than Nylander <laughs> at center takes that we did for two weeks. It's just like, it's insane that we did that. And, and I knew that it wouldn't be this way, but I still had to play the part. And yeah, I'm sick to myself that I ever, I should have just stayed firm with this is never going to happen. Why are we talking about this? Well, the only reason it was going to happen is because they don't have any other options. Like who's yeah. going to play third line center for this team? You know, if, if Minton, you know, God bless Minton. He's 19 years old. He's mm. a second round pick. He didn't blow the doors off the WHL last year. Mm, someone um, hates Fraserman noted. Got it. <laughs> he plays for my team. Yeah. He plays in my hometown no, team. Exactly. I, Sometimes I, we hate I watched him. I watched him as much as any of the Leafs prospects. I mean, yeah. I actually, I have like the WHL subscription and I watched yeah. Kamloops play. So yeah. like it, it's, from what I've seen, unless has something happened over the summer that he kind of, you know, completely changed, it's going to be hard for him to last beyond the nine games is, is my prediction. I wish him all the best. I hope that I'm wrong. Sometimes with prospects, you get it wrong and they're ahead of schedule, but it's just a lot to hang on him. And if it doesn't work out for Minton, what do they do at center ice the rest of the year? So this is, the, I, I agree. I think there's three things and we'll go through them in order because yeah, I think on the outset, everyone looked at the blue line and went, oh, the blue line is the biggest question mark and blue line, blue line, mm-hmm. blue line, blue line. And now the more I feel about it, I'm like, they'll be fine in the regular season, right? Like sheltered minutes when your third pairing is Mark Giordano and Timothy Lilligren, you can do just an insane amount worse than that, right? Like they, they have enough depth there that I think they will be fine. Playoffs, I think well, trade deadline, the acquisition might end up being bigger, but as of right now, the way the roster started, that's that's the part of the Minton story that I think is being... I don't want to say overlooked because that's a bit light. You know, people are bringing this up, but yeah, if Fraser Minton is your opening day, third line center, I think it tells you that you don't have enough centermen and that the Nylander thing didn't work, that they don't trust Domi down the middle, that they don't want to play David camp too many minutes. And yeah, this is an exciting line. I think that there's something to it. I actually enjoy, I, I think that they made the right call keeping him here. I think it might be the wrong decision uh, if they let him play 10 games. Like, I think it's a two things can be true situation. Yeah, it's not the end of the world. You burn a year of the contract, though, right? Like, yeah, if, it's, it, if it's right, if he looks the part and he and Nyes and Yarncroc are this third line that brings a, a bunch of energy and is producing some, then I think you let it ride. But I, I'm with you just in terms of, okay, wait, so he's 19. No one expected him to be here at this point. He wasn't the first line center of his junior team. Like, it just, it seems... 
yeah, it seems like when he's playing actual NHL competition over a long stretch that the the fairy tale of this story might end up taking a bit of a turn. It's it's a lot to ask yeah. of him, and and you're you're 100 right. Like the the biggest reason they're doing it is they don't have a lot of other options. You know, like they came into camp, they came into the prospect development camp, not thinking that you know he was going to make it. So. You know, there is some chemistry there with Nyes. It's a fun story having the two kids play on the same line together. It reminds me of back in 2016 when, you know, they had Nylander and and Marner and Matthews all come in, Hyman, and I think they had seven or eight rookies on that team. Like, it's it's a fun idea to have these young guys. And, you know, they're even talking, maybe even Kockinen could make it on the... uh, on, on defense as well as the extra guy and, and take some of those games that Giordano sits out. So, and you got Joseph Wall in goal. So there is kind of like for the first time in a long time, there's this little bit of a prospect movement on the roster and yeah, there can nice. be contributions there. Like that's, that's fun. Like that's a good story to watch them because those kind of kids. And I was looking around the league, like there's a whole bunch of players that weren't in the league last year, a whole bunch of young players that are, have made rosters all over the league. And that's kind of, you know, the way the NHL is going, you get these entry-level contracts, everyone's making seven, 800 grand and um, you can fit them on the roster and, and you start to see guys on entry-level contracts making teams that are playing as third defensemen or third line forwards or whatever. And, you know, and, and it's a huge boost to a team if, if you can contribute in your top nine forwards, or your top 4D on an entry-level deal. So all those are good things. Um and, and the the good news with Minton is that his strength really is kind of his defensive play, his positioning, yeah. winning face-offs. Like, he's going to be good. He's not going to burn you in terms of, you know, really dumb turnovers or things like that. The question just is, is he ready for the pace of play? And and, and he, he's got some size on his side, but does he have, you know, the strength and does he know how to use it and does he get pushed around? Because center ice is a whole different ball game. And if you look at the way the, the Leafs lineup is constructed – and like, let's say the Leafs are protecting a lead. Let's say they've got a one-goal lead in the opener tomorrow against Montreal. You feel good about getting Matthews and Marner out there as a line. What's the next line you throw over the boards? Well, I think you know? that that's where Keith is going to be creative with his, you know, his yeah. juggling. Because I, I feel confident with three of the team centers protecting a lead, no sweat. And that's that's sort of the beauty of this. That's the part that I actually like is I think that they're going to find a way to really shelter this kid and let him go slowly. Like, I don't think he's going to be taking defensive zone draws with a one nothing lead, right? Like, I, I just, I don't see it. Even though he's well, good in the dot, whatever, I just... There's a reason they put Yarncock out there, though. I think, actually, yeah. he is going to get some defensive assignments. Mm, maybe. I just, I, I think They're that that's going to fall on They're not going to trust Tavares Nylander to play tough defensive minutes like there's just no way no I think they're going to trust the top line and the bottom line but then they're going to juggle certain players around like do you think Yarncroft's not going to see minutes with Camp? I, I do no uh, that's what they're going to do they're going to yeah. scramble that camp saying. line is going to look completely different when All they're the protecting time. lead in the third period yes. yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah I think that's what Keith's going to do and this is a part of it that he's basically this is a thing that he's always done he's he's never been afraid to juggle the lines except for that Columbus series when it was the most painful thing ever well actually sorry he's never been afraid to juggle lines except for breaking up the top line which would solve a lot of his problems and he just seems terrified to do because honestly like to me the answer with the center piece moving forward here at least for a while regular season wise right I don't think playoff wise I think they're probably going to have to add some depth at that position they're probably going to have to make a move on the blue line unless things really break their way God forbid the the scary one is something bad happens in net and that becomes an area where they need to pour assets into but I think you want to give Minton a look and just see, hey, can can he be a contributor? Because why not? Because your other options aren't all that great. But 
ultimately, I would just say, hey, Domi, you're centering a line with Nylander. Like mm-hmm. 16, Marner is back with Tavares. And Matthews, you're with Bertuzzi, and you guys got to carry out a line. Like, you, these guys should be they, – they have the right idea with the Nylander – driving his own line thing to me. They just have it wrong in the sense of him being a center, which he's just clearly not going to be. And and in a contract yeah. year too, like I, I don't think it's going to end up happening. So just go f- pure offense and have Domi be this offensive because that's what you're kind of ish trying to do with the Minton thing, right? Like I know he's a two-way player and we're doing all this, but yeah, I just, I don't think he's going to be a shutdown player at 19 years old in the NHL. Maybe that would be awesome if he is, but I I think it's harder to believe that that is going to be an amazing line for them long-term rather than just having a third line offensive group where they're trying to spread around the scoring and make every one of their stars drive a piece of this team. I just think it comes back to what you said is that it keeps not going to trust Domi down the middle. Like yeah. he, he doesn't trust Nylander there. He's not going to trust Domi there. He doesn't and trust him as much as he trusts a 19 year old second round pick. That's, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they didn't, there wasn't even a thought to put Domi down. Yeah, the middle. It's, true. it's really, it is true. Uh-huh. So, I mean, that that's telling. But, uh-huh. but then to have Nylander and Domi on the same line with Tavares and the foot speed issues, it's like, I feel like that is the sheltered line. I feel like that is the one getting the offensive zone starts. Mm. And that's going to put even more pressure on Nyes and Minton. Mm. I think that's what we're going to see here against Montreal tomorrow. Mm. Maybe, again, yeah, Montreal. You just, they should be fine against Montreal. I think there's a lot of, uh, yeah, the lesser guys than Minton on the Canadians this year. You know, okay, so here's the parts I like about the Minton decision, though. Is like, I don't think there's any harm in letting him start the season here. In fact, I love the idea of you rewarding a kid who's super enthusiastic, who gets a... I, I like the idea even, frankly, as an entertainment product, rewarding the fans a little bit here, going, all right, what's the difference? We're going Pontus Holmberg or we're going Fraser Minton? No, I, I want some... When we're talking about narratives and what's changed and what's different, like having that youth movement or that young... Uh, what is it, underbelly of of young players? I think that's nice. I think that's a nice, refreshing thing for the team. I think that's a refreshing thing for the fan base. It's good all around. Plus, I don't know, like you're Mr. WHL. You've got your pass. You're watching these games. I'm, I'm, I think it gets a little overstated sometimes. Like you can find examples of guys who go down and have success and turn around and they, they're great. You can find examples of guys who it doesn't work out for. I don't know if a kid who is this mature and who has this kind of a game and who's 19 years old is going to necessarily flourish down in the dub anymore. Right? Like, I don't know what the, well, the value of this is. Like they were going to make him the captain. They're going to sure. put him on the top line. They're going to put him on the top power play unit. Like he was yeah, going to have to carry more. the mail in a, in a way he didn't last year. That's the only thing that would be different. He would yeah. get to play the world juniors, you know, like there's, you know, he's, he, he's still got some developing to do, but sure. the question is, can he do it in the NHL or not? Cause some guys can. Right. The thing I like about him though, that, and Tavares said the same thing and all of them have said it. And I don't know, it seems true. And maybe I'm just reading too much into the fact that he was this classic piano player, but is that everyone talks about his maturity, that he doesn't feel 19. And I do think that matters, right? Like there are some guys that are 25 that feel 19. There's some 19-year-olds that feel 25. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and Nyes is similar too. Yeah. You know, you talk, like they just, oh, yeah. they, they're not intimidated by the moment at all. And no. I don't think Minton, Minton's going to be. So it's not a matter of, I don't think it's going to be a matter of nerves or composure or anything like that. Minton's played in some big games. I, you know, he was in the Memorial Cup and... But it's just a matter of can he hack it day to day to day, yep. especially if they're not going to shelter that line. Yeah. I, here's the other part of, I like about it. Matthew Nyes got completely sheltered from narratives. Sort of been a big Matthew Nyes narrative yeah. talk. And his career so far has been hype, 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 hype. 
comes into the playoffs. He pl- performs extremely well. Hype, hype, hype. If we, we were doing the thing of when projecting forward earlier before the Minton stuff was happening is like, he's the X factor to the season. What is he going to become? And I like that in this media market where it can get just so sun level intensity on certain players, like we're seeing a little bit with Minton, but at least he's 19. So we go, whatever. There's a little bit of heat, I think, off of Matthew Nice. I like that. And he looks great, yeah. you know, and he looks like, you know, he looks like a guy who could push to go up the lineup, you know, like if Domi's making defensive mistakes, I could see Nice playing higher. If, if the chemistry is not there with Bertuzzi and Matthews and Marner, Nice could potentially be the one that pushes up. So I mean, the Leafs have had a lot of luck with these second round picks, haven't they? Like it's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty unusual that you see a second round pick turn and, and get into the NHL and make an impact as quick as, as some of the players they've picked lately. Yeah, minus the guy whose path now becomes very muddied in Nick Robertson. Yeah, but I think the thing to do with Robertson is just send him to the Marlies. Well, I send him to the Marlies, give him two months there, put him on the top line, play him 20 minutes a night, put him on the top power play unit, play him with good players. I mean, they're going to have a whole bunch of veterans down there, Mm -hmm. build a really good line around him. And if he still can't get it done, then it might not be, it might not happen for him. But you know, he's had so many injuries that I'm not ready to 100% write him off yet. I'm not going to write him off. I will just say that my understanding of Robertson in terms of one of the things outside of injuries that has held him back is that down at the AHL level, he is a little bit too much me, 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 me. And that there's a little bit of, hey, be a little bit more not that. And by just empowering him fully on the Marlies to just say, hey, you're the guy that's doing all these things and play. I, I just, I don't know what else he has to prove at the AHL level. I think he's an AHL stud. He's fine there. He can do those things. To me, he's just your classic needs a change of scenery player. And the problem is, is I, I can't imagine that another team would offer Toronto a lot for him. The hope is, is that to me anyway, if I'm, if I'm Toronto, if I'm looking at this as The hope is, is that if you have to call him up, which you probably will a couple of times this year, that he does look better. He had another fine preseason, but there was really no buzz around him because there were other guys ahead, right? Minton and Nyes, they, and Kokkinen, they, they ended up taking the, the young guy buzz away from Robertson this year, but you're hoping that he fills in sort of admirably can put up some better statistics that he has at the NHL level in his career so far stays healthy and then actually becomes a, a chip for you in a trade this year. I just don't think he's ever going to be a Toronto Maple Leaf top six. That's just my feeling on it. Well, I mean, one way to think of it is, I mean, you know, the the fourth line they've got right now with Gregor, Camp, and Reeves, you don't, like if someone gets hurt in the top nine and you got to, you need some offense to replace some offense, you look at what's on the Marlies, you look at what's on the fourth line, mm-hmm. Robertson might be the answer, right? Like if you go down a winger, mm-hmm. who are you recalling that's going to be able to pop in a few goals from the Marlies right now? No, there's, there's not really anybody. The only thing is uh, it's 25, 25 NHL, no, more. Uh, 31 NHL games, three goals. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, he hasn't done enough. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, he's done enough in the AHL. Like, yeah. His numbers in the that's AHL saying, are good great. enough. He's, no, that's what I'm saying. He's proven himself in the AHL. Well, what's the baseball term? Is it like quadruple A? Yeah, I mean, that, kind of, that, that, that might be what he is. Totally. Like, he just might be a guy that's between where he's really good in the AHL you know, it's there. And there's been lots of guys like that. I mean, the Leafs just hired one, Chris Bork, they just hired one like that. I mean, he yeah. was a really, really good small forward in the AHL and just was never able to produce in the NHL. And that happens a lot, especially with guys who aren't amazing skaters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, it's funny though, because I really do believe that he's one of those guys that 
gets dealt to the San Jose Sharks, you know, like mm-hmm. he goes back to California in some trade and people look at his numbers year over year and go, can you believe the Leafs just gave up on this guy and didn't get too mm-hmm. much in return? I, I think he's destined to be that dude. He'll put up some fine numbers on a team where he gets that opportunity over and over and over again. And there isn't that pressure to be great. And on Toronto, I just think that he's going to leave you wanting in the top six because they're trying to win a Stanley cup. And even in a pinch, I, I just don't know. I, I don't know if I've seen it in the top six. Anyway, that's enough. Uh, bubble guy talk. All right. We're back to the the real roster, the real meat. So yeah, we agree. The Minton thing is fun. The Minton thing has the most upside. I, I like the move, but yeah, it does tell you something about the center depth. Okay. So the blue line, because we'll go down the three big roster questions. Cause I think that the top six talent is pretty clear. Although I do have a Bertuzzi thought for you. Um, I think this is the way I'm framing the blue line. I think it's going to be good in the regular season, fine in the regular season. Maybe some frustrating Klingberg conversations people have, maybe some what's up with Brody, but ultimately it's going to be a good regular season blue line and then impossible to believe that it will be the postseason blue line. Uh, yeah, I think that's fair. And you mentioned it earlier. You hit on it. Like they have a good third pair. Like if you look yeah. statistically, Giordano Lilgren is better than most other NHL teams, third pairs, like it would be top no five question. around the league. Yeah. yeah. But then if you match up the Leafs top pair and their second pair against other pairings around the league, it's not elite, you know, and I think there's been some debate in the preseason. We've had some rankings. I think uh, Harmon uh, Dale, one of our young writers, um, had a piece ranking the blue lines around the league, and I think he had the Leafs 14th. That and feels right. I don't, I don't think that that's far off. No. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, if you rank their forwards, the Leafs would be higher than that. Goaltending, I mean, a little bit of a crapshoot, but potentially a little bit higher maybe than 14th. But yeah. the blue line is really, and it's specifically the top four in the blue line, it's definitely not elite. And if Klingberg is struggles as much as he has the last two years, mm-hmm. the blue line could be a, a real problem. And I, I think there's real opportunity there for Logren to, to push his way up. I mean, it's never that's been it. easier for him to, to bust into the top four. And that's probably best case scenario for the Leafs. Yeah. See, this is why I can't be overly concerned in the regular season is I think the worst case scenario is Klingberg really struggles and doesn't look good. But Timothy Lilligren in his age, what, 24, 25 season, like starts to come. Yeah, yeah. starts to come into his prime a little bit, has enough games under his belt. He really flashed in the regular season last year. He looked good in the preseason to me in the parts that I saw because, you know, it's painful for me to try to watch these entire games, but I do try to focus on some things and I thought that he looked good. He's strong. I think that there's a real potential, at least for him to step in and be, yeah, the team's fourth defenseman and yeah, answer one of their questions there. I hate it when teams do, oh, you know what? Before I go to the goaltenders and before I go to this is like, I do have one more forward thought. I, I know this is kind of a stupid take <laughs> and people will not, will freak out about this to some degree because they'll be like, what does this matter? It's step. I hated the Sam Lafferty trade. And like, I don't hate it because they got a fifth round pick for him. I hate that that was the guy they decided to remove for a couple of the reasons. One is that you don't have center depth. Two is... Where would you say he ranked in terms of their best players against the Panthers last year? Like he was one of their best 10 guys, right? Yeah, but he wasn't great against Tampa. You know, sure. like there were there were games he was a healthy scratch sure. down the stretch. 10 I, They they think Gregor's as good as Lafferty Which and makes fine. 50% less. Yep. So that's fine. It really came down to that that 350 Reeves. grand. Like that they came to, yeah, or Ryan Reeves, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's what I was saying. Reeves better be good in the room because I think that it might have cost you a better player that, yeah, I just like, if you're going to ask me, Hey, who do you think is going to have more impact in the playoffs? Ryan Reeves or Sam Lafferty? I would have been like, well, it's Lafferty. And I just, I don't know, man. I, I just think that this is a guy with good speed, good size. 
he could play up the lineup. And when I was talking about the whole, hey, maybe you shift Nylander down a line and you let everybody drive their own lines, at least Lafferty was someone they were trying next to Tavares. And maybe they didn't like it, and that was part of the reason that they ended up making the move is they went, you know what, this isn't going to be sustainable here, whatever. I just liked him as a guy that could play up and down the roster and fill a couple of different spots for them. And, like, do we think that Gregor is going to end up getting some second line minutes with the like with Tavares? I, I don't know if I see that the same way as Lafferty, who at least was there. Yeah, I mean, it's the cap got really crunched yeah. for them. Like there was, I, I was looking at it last week, and it's like it really feels like Lafferty's on the bubble just because of the number. I mean, and he's yeah. only making one point one five, so it sounds a bit bizarre. But there just yeah. weren't a lot of other places that they could shift money out. No, I get and, it. I the, the, like you, it. Especially you, you keep Minton. Especially you want to have an extra forward, right? So you, and or an extra defenseman. So if they kept Lafferty, they were going to be right at the league minimum roster, which means Giordano has to play every single night. And it also means that Minton has to play every night and you can't give him a break even on a back-to-back or on a road trip or anything like that if he struggles. And mm-hmm. I think that's just too much pressure. Whereas now they're going to be able to mix in some extra guys. They're going to be able to change the roster in the early going of the season. They're going to be able, they're going to have to move some things around when uh, Connor Timmons gets back or, or put Timmons on waivers. They're still mm-hmm. tight against the cap, but it just gives them some breathing room. And if, if Lafferty was making eight, 900 K, this wouldn't have happened. Yeah. No, I know. It's just, that's one of the ones where I'm like, ugh, I hate it for the roster, understand it for the cap, but just... Well, the, the, it's not just Reeves. The Klingberg number is problematic, yeah. too, because Klingberg's not worth 4.15. He's just not, you know, especially if he ends up on the third pair. And oh, I mean, we'll see what he brings to the power play. I mean, the the only way that I think Klingberg helps the Leafs if he, if he's really good on power play one and it frees up Riley to play a lot more minutes at even strength. Like, that could be, that could be what he brings to the table. Hmm. Yeah, that's kind of the best-case scenario. Okay, so the goalies. I hate when people are like, well, if this guy gets hurt, then this guy's on your team now, right? Like, because Martin Jones ends up getting waived. And I go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Any team whose top guys get hurt is not going to leave phenomenal goaltending, you know, left over. That said, does the Leafs' goaltending feel a little under-discussed to you in terms of, hey, Joe Wall has X amount of starts and Samsonov last year was viewed as a lottery ticket, yeah, it just it does feel like maybe we're taking a little too for granted. Maybe, yeah. I mean, the tough thing with goaltending is you just don't know. It's so hard to predict. You know, like it's, I, if I give you a a take on the goaltending, what's going to happen here? It would just be a hot take. Like it would just be guessing. Like no, no one knows what's going to happen here, right? Like we've seen goalies like Joseph Wall come in and play really well, and you know he could come in and grab thirty-five starts. He could challenge Samsonov. Or he could be terrible, <laughs> you know. Like it's, I, I just the situation that they were in with the way that waivers works and everything. They had to give Wall a shot because you know if they do like you said and they move moved off of him, either lose him on waivers or trade him for. No, they could never hardly, do that. Well, I mean, it happens around the league. I mean, look, Ottawa traded uh, the Gusts and the the goalie in uh, Minnesota, and look how good he ended up being. So it's tough because waivers forces you to decide on goalies a lot sooner than you're often ready, especially goalies like Wall who played in college and then had a bunch of injuries. Like he hasn't, he hasn't played a lot of games. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to know what he is. But the funny thing is he's, he's not that young. I mean, he's the same age as Austin Matthews. Like the, you know, he's, he's, he's a mature guy. And I think you just got to see what you have there and you give him a half season as the backup. And if it doesn't work, then like you said, they could be looking for a goalie at some point. Yeah. I think that's a tough scenario for them. There's just, there's a couple things. One is that, yeah, I'm not, 
Last year, Samsonov was lights out in the preseason, and this year he was a little shaky. And I went, mm-hmm. this was a big part of the last year stuff was, hey, he looked really good, and it made you feel a little bit more comfortable. And it's, again, it's preseason, whatever. It could end up changing. Like some goalies have started the regular season here poorly and then ended up being great, right? Like Belfour. But yeah, I just, I'm not as sure. You're right. The goaltending thing is lottery ticket stuff in general. But yeah, I don't know if I feel amazing about Samsonov a year later because of exactly that. Like he's not Hellebuck. Uh, he's not something solid in that. And could I see a scenario where he ends up having a down season and then all of a sudden they're having to lean on the kid with like what, 11, 100%. 12 NHL starts? That's the only thing that's sort of keeping me up about the goaltending is that I think well, it's a little bit more of a variant for this team or a variable for this team than we might be discussing it. Well, let's bring this all together, everything that we've talked about on this show. The other thing that concerns me with the goaltending is I think they're going to be under more pressure than last year. You know, the, the forwards aren't as good defensively. The blue line isn't as good defensively. You know, Keith's system is going to help a lot, but I could see this Leafs team potentially scoring more goals than they have the past couple of years, allowing more goals in the past couple of years, you know, generating more chances, allowing more chances. Like it could be a bit more of a freewheeling offense driven lineup because that's the kind of player that, that Domi and Bertuzzi and, and Klingberg are, you know, the, the way that they've changed the DNA to the extent that they have has gone more in that direction and away from kind of like the really strong two way player direction that they were pursuing with O'Reilly and Achari and mm-hmm. Lafferty and some of these other players. Mm-hmm. So, there's going to be a different look to this team and it could be a different look that puts more pressure on the goalies. You know, there could be more nights where they're giving up four or five goals in a game. I think that's a really good point. That's a good place to end it. This was good. This was good today. Are you excited for a full season of this? <laughs> Talking to me? Yeah. Didn't, didn't we do a full season last yeah, year? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. This is good. This I, good. I'm excited. Yeah, you good. know, it's good. You know, once a week we hit the high notes uh-huh. and you know, sometimes I, I, I don't know how you do the hours and hours every single day. That's that's not my role, though. I yeah. just I could parachute in and no, no give you what I got, and then yeah. That's, yeah, that's what you learn. Is that's like I'm a machine, you know, I'm a machine. <laughs> I just make it work over and over again. Uh, James Myrtle, uh, senior managing editor at the Athletic. Thanks as always, and we'll talk to you next week, brother. Yeah, sounds good. All right, quick break. Let's come back and hit what we missed. Sportsnet five ninety, the fan. First couple of cold days, and all the boys are crying. I'm freezing. <laughs> oh, freezing. I'm so You're wearing cold. an all-black shirt. I know. Like, be a little tougher. I know. I, well, you know me. I'm not tough in any way. I know. You're like, you wear the shirt of the toughest guys, and then you're like, it's a little chilly. It's just, you know, it's just, it's kind of cold. It's cold in the studio. It's kind of warm in here. Ah, it's colder freezing. back there. Whatever, man. I'm a delicate boy. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough look. I don't think you should be wearing the all-blacks. No. Just cover it. I'll yeah, just cover it. Exactly. Now it's just, just an Adidas shirt. <laughs> yeah. How many times do you think the all-blacks players are like, it's chilly? <laughs> We're, we're cold? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> Never. Probably, probably not. No. All right. Uh, all right. Josiah Bosch, Simon Huglis, what'd we miss? Uh, Wemby. Victor Wembanyama made his preseason debut last mm-hmm. night. 20 points. Didn't watch. 8 for 13. Well, yeah. I mean, he's watching preseason hoops, but it got I me thinking. Wemby made his preseason debut last night. He was pretty yeah. good. Connor Bedard makes his regular season debut tonight. Mm-hmm. So call your shot. Who is the more impactful rookie season, Wemby or Bedard? Unquestionably Wemby. There you go. Like, not close. It'll be uh, 10-8 Wemby. Ooh, okay. I, I actually Ooh. think, so I'm going to post some NHL futures I like today on the socials, right? It's that kind of day. Hey, here's the the 
future bets that I'm taking. Yeah. And I'm definitely taking Bedard over. Well, I'm not taking. I've already placed a bet for Bedard over goals. <laughs> I think Bedard is going to actually have a massive year, and there's going to be a ton of conversations about, hey, we got to expedite the timeline. Like, I would mm. say next year, Chicago is not going to be in some type of Oh, and then they're going to be rebuilding. They're not going to be the Anaheim Ducks mm. where it's, hey, look how many young guys they have here, the Arizona Coyotes, year over year. This thing is going to go fast. Next year, like I've already said, I'm calling the shot of if Nylander's not a Leaf, I think he's a Blackhawk. That's the way that I think this thing's going to go. They got a ton of cap, mm-hmm. and they're going to want players. They're going to want real studs. They're going to want this team to be good fast because you just can't burn – years of Connor Bedard on that contract yeah. and not be competitive. Like it, it's just not an option in the, in the cap reality. It's like quarterbacks. Now you can't waste time. Yeah, your you window is the rookie deal. You got, you got to go fast. You got to see what you have and you got to roll with it immediately. So I think Bedard's going to be a stud, but no man, Wemby's going to, if Wemby's not a top 25 player in the NBA this year, I think that's kind of a disappointment. Mm. Like, I think he's going to be that he'll mm. be more impactful than, you know, Zach Levine. Right? Yeah, yeah. He's going to be right. really good. And so I think it's the same thing with the Spurs is I, I think if you're a Spurs fan, what you're sort of hoping for is this team is feels like the new Oklahoma City Thunder mm. where all of a sudden Vassell looks awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know, like Dem all of a sudden Vassell. the pieces. Yeah, Vassell, like those Calvin guys. Johnson yes, that all of a sudden buckets. those guys around him look solid. So impact wise, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of Wemby. He's going to struggle, I think, in certain situations, like when LeBron first hits him in the chest going downhill. <laughs> and he flies back be, 10 He's feet. like, holy crap. There's <laughs> the battle Giannis for the first time. than France. <laughs> so you have Wemby locked in as rookie of the year? Yeah, no, I think that Wemby not winning rookie of the year would be a, like, he's, he's hurt. That's what happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was, do you think? It's going to be I'm, I'm waiting for Armin. I got Chet Holmgren. Oh, yeah, because it was yeah. Wemby versus Chet last night. Yeah. There was a lot of yeah. limbs. Here's, limbs here's, yeah. flying all yeah. over the place. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> a lot of limbs. <laughs> no, here's the thing. I, I can understand why hipster Armin would be trying to make that choice, but here's the thing. You always have bad takes. Here's The reason why Chet can't win MVP in year, or sorry, rookie of the year is because Shea it's is going to be go, too yeah. good. And yeah. they're going to have a solid team around him that already played a full year without Chet and was good. So this year, they're going to be building him in. I think if you're talking about like who will be playing more meaningful games, it'll be Chet. Yeah. He'll have some like awesome big moments, but, and, and we're going to do the whole thing. Like, doesn't it matter that Chet's on a winning team and the Spurs are not a winning team? And it won't because that's not what we do with rookie of the year. We sure. go with the statistically better guy, unless it's razor thin, which is how Scotty Barnes ended up beating Evan Mobley and yeah. Mobley got hurt down the stretch. There were some mitigating factors that ended up going to that one. Mm-hmm. But ultimately I think when is going to be a 20 and 10 guy, and I don't think Chet is going to be that. And I think for Chet to even compete, he'd have to be like, yeah, 18 and 9. And I wonder, that that feels like it's going to be tough for him to get to given all the other pieces in Oklahoma City. Yeah. But I would say that he'll probably be the, the runner-up. He's also going to get dinged, Armin, on the whole you're not a real rookie thing. Like, mm. you got the benefits of having an NBA offseason. People will bring that up. It just, it is. It's going to happen. Yeah. Um, anyway, all right, what's next? Well, I just wanted to follow up on yeah. your Blackhawks point about, so they're going to have $51 million next yeah. season, yeah. which is $10 million more than the next closest yeah. team. No, they're number one. They're going to have an absolute bag. Only 10 players signed well, through that and season. And that's $51 million without the, like, knowing what the cap is going to be mm. with yes. certainty, which yes, is sir. probably going to be more than $51 million. Yes, Anyways, sir. yeah, watch out. Chicago is going to turn around mm. quick, 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 quick. 
Uh, what's next? Anyway, so there's a story floating around on the weekend, the Los Angeles 2028 Olympic Games. Mm. They've proposed five new sports to be added to that Olympic Games. Oh, it's proposed? It's not locked in? It's proposed. They, they have to vote on it and ratify it by October oh, okay. 14th is when their big... Uh, ex- the the voting begins, I yeah. guess, by the by the IOC. So those sports in question are baseball and softball, flag football, cricket, lacrosse, and mm. squash. So I wanted to pose a question to you. Are there any sports that you want to see added to the Olympics or... I gotta be honest. I can't believe some of these ones aren't already in here. Like cricket yeah. is not already there. How well, is that not there? So How is squ- I, I, squash isn't there? Like yeah, squash, squash is like, like a, has it. Yeah. It's not. So here's here's my take on adding sports to the Olympics. Do it. I yeah. don't care. I'm What's, for yeah, it. Like why, why would I ever <laughs> be against it being that the only times where I go I don't know is it like football. Where what do we need to see America? That's, just smash. No, you don't need to just give a country a gold medal. If there's a sport like that where it's insane dominance Mm -hmm. where there's really only like a country or two that play the sport and are good at it, then I'm kind of like, sure. But then it's also uh, truly, I look at it and say, well, what is really the harm, right? People do this with women's hockey all the time. They're like, well, it's always Canada and the state. So what's even the point of having an Olympics? How is it fair if it's always, and I'm like, is it, do you think it's really bad for the game to have women's hockey be in this really elevated position where Mm -hmm. people get to look at it? The point is to really hate. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm just kind of pro all sports being there. You okay with Fortnite in there? No, that's too. <laughs> no, I don't want Fortnite in there. I don't want chess in there. Like I want, yeah. You gotta. It's gotta be physically demanding. It's the Olympics, for God's sakes. Mm-hmm. I do have that. It shouldn't just be games. I don't want it all of a sudden be like this guy's the sorry champion of the world. Look at him go. He's so good at sorry. <laughs> yeah, the Halo no. champion of the yeah, world. Exactly. No, no, no. We don't need that. We don't need that. No, video games. Keep esports is fine. I don't care. It's so nerdy thing, but I don't need to have that as yeah. Like yeah. Anyway, uh, I need to do NHL Red Zone too first. I forgot that that one was in there. I didn't realize that that was happening. The NHL Red Zone, yeah. So the yeah. ESPN, ESPN unveiled their plans for the NHL Red Zone. Mm-hmm. It's going to be on October 24th. They're going to have all 32 teams playing at the, uh, on the same night. Mm-hmm. And they're going to, on ESPN+, Plus start the coverage of all 32 at the same time, cover all the goals, hits, major plays. Mm-hmm. They're going to jump around from game to game. Is that a concept that you think could work with hockey? where it's not as stop and go as it is with football. It's I'm more glad they're flowing. trying it. I'm yeah. glad they're trying it. Yeah. Obviously, red zone being called red zone yeah. for a reason that it's the time the yeah. team is going to score. It's going to be called frozen friendly for frozen frenzy for hockey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, they could workshop that name. Yeah, they really yeah. could have workshop that. that. <laughs> you like that's the name tough. Frozen that. frenzy. I'm yeah, like, all right. That's just little. Yeah, that's tough. It's, it's a little much. It's not. But that's America with hockey. You know, like it's just. Well, stop the figuring it out. Yeah, just I just I, I don't know what. Yeah, like if I see Frozen Frenzy on the guide, I don't know what. Like that sounds like a game show. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. But it'll take. Yeah, exactly. You're right. It does. <laughs> sounds very really much like a game show. I like that they're trying this. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be interesting to see. It's going to be difficult to execute because yeah, you're going so it's like a highlight show, mm-hmm. and I'm going. Well, I can just watch the highlights later. I'd rather just watch a game. But I think it's kind of cool. The way that it would be awesome is if they're like, or or the way that it could work, but it would be really, really hard because the game is so on the fly is like, hey, um, Sidney Crosby has an offensive zone draw. Like this is the level of detail we're going with it. We're going to mm. watch them. Oh, these guys have a power play. You know, Connor Bedard is taking yeah. an o- ozone draw. Like I would lean into it where you go, hey, these are same thing like NFL red zone where there's a little bit of a scoring chance, but it's the stars of the game. Yeah. Like Capitals power play, let's go to you it. You got to figure the power plays yeah. will play a huge role in that's, that, right? Because I, mean. I mean, that's the easiest part, yeah. uh, point to jump into a game and be like, hey, we're going live now here where... But, but you like, can't call it NFL or NHL power play because no. I was like, oh, it's like, 
because you want to have the other things in it. I like, though, they're like, all oh, the big hits. I'm like, so they'll just watch Truba, and <laughs> yeah. that's it. Because that's dead in the NHL now. Because a lot yeah. of it will just be rolled back stuff that happened a couple minutes ago, right? Like, a lot of it will be like, oh, yeah. they scored, so we'll take you and show you that. Like, yeah. the key, and, like, this is, like, but you anything. Could, but that's called Twitter. Like, no, you know, exactly, that's exactly. Twitter. The key mm-hmm. will be how yeah. often can they be live on events when they happen, which yeah. is, like, you know, tough with any of the stuff. It's how PGA broadcasts work, yeah. too, right? Mm-hmm. You try to be live when they yeah, actually... That's it. Do Would it, you guys be hard. into like a split screen? That way they could catch more? Four box? Why? The octo no. box. I don't need that with I'm, hockey. I'm, I'm, it's too I'm hard. I'm sure they'll experiment with that though. Here's having what, like four here's, games at the same time. Here's what I'm telling you though right now. This better be only ESPN and this better not be our thing. Because if this is like, and sports that did the exact, and we decided to call it Foros and Frenzy and oh. I just buried us, you're dead to me, Joe. <laughs> like I, well, I'm not making the call. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm saying, I'm saying that if you're uh, like, oh, actually it's uh, ESPN and Spartan partnership and like, I'll kill you. But. <laughs> <laughs> oh, All right. Anyways, what's next? Uh, a man in Pennsylvania uh, was riding a farm vehicle, mm-hmm. was arrested for a second DUI 17 minutes after release from his first DUI arrest. Hmm. Tough look for this Pennsylvania 17 man. 17 minutes after? 17 that minutes after. That feels like entrapment. That feels like they were like, <laughs> they let him out drunk and they were like, here's your keys. Like, get out of here. <laughs> you better not walk towards that yeah. farm yeah. thing. I don't know anything about farm. That's recovery. unfair. You can't, there should be a statue, like there should be a grace period time. <laughs> no, I just, that's, that seems, I, I don't even know how that, I, I almost need a documentary on how yeah, this tough. happened. Tough. Also, whatever times. happened to double jeopardy? Um, no, whatever happened to just like, you can't, drive anymore if this is how many you have (laughs) like yeah oof tough look Uh, but I got me thinking what's a mistake you keep uh, making in life despite your best efforts to not repeat that mistake trusting you guys (laughs) 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 trusting you guys it's a daily battle yeah don't don't start playing a second song underneath my intro so show song to the start of the second hour, Armin. <laughs> like, nope, I can't trust you. Like, Joe, anything. <laughs> just the reading, wrong quote. Just reading Joe. Like, just, just, just the wrong just clip. Just read a thing. No, uh... I, I think there's probably there's like I think that's all of us. We all have these kinds of things. 100%. Right? I think my I just thinking of this, my sports betting one is that. I have a really tough time betting overs in baseball, even when I feel like it's going to be an over, mm. especially like it's playoff baseball time. And I just love unders. I feel mm. so good. Like you're winning, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet with other sports like basketball and football, I hate betting unders, even though I've won two cowards parlays in a row. No big deal with okay, some unders okay, attached okay. to them. I will. It's just like, I think it's weird that my brain is oriented in a certain way with each sport where I go. Hockey, prefer an under. Baseball, prefer an under. The scoring sports, I prefer the overs. It just makes you feel like a rube. Mm -hmm. And I go, how can you be a good sports better if your mindset going into these things feels so trapped in terms of what you really (laughs) want to do with it? But yeah, I don't know. I think we all, like, I would say eating. You make the same mistakes over and over again. You, like, get on a diet, and then you push that diet too hard, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're in bed covered in chips. And you're like, how did (laughs) this happen to me? (laughs) I promised myself I wouldn't do this to myself anymore. Yeah, I don't know. There's probably lots. I could actually, I'm glad that the show is ending because now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, basically I make repetitive mistakes. Yeah, the rest of your day is just going to be My whole life is me making the same mistakes over and over and over again. burying yourself. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave five stars. Leafs season opener tomorrow. Very excited for that. And then, yeah, subscribe to the podcast. Just leave five stars. Do all those things so you catch the every single episode. All right. We'll talk to you tomorrow.